Uh, if you haven't already, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Dale, sorry for springing that on you, but uh, I was sitting there thinking ahead to my sermon. I was like, I should have asked him to sing this before church. Oh, wait. I should probably ask him now. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, Dave's not here tonight, but I want to want to say what a, a great job he did again this morning, um, given the opportunity. Um, I think it was a little bit of pulling of arm and encouragement and, and his willingness, of course, to do so. Um, I've been wanting to hear a lesson from Dave um, for a long time, ever since uh, he came to class. If you don't know, Dave used to work at Ikea and worked overnights, and so he wasn't often able to be here on Sunday mornings and in classes. And I remember the, the one of the first Sunday mornings he was in class that I was here, and I was just so um, thankful for the comments that he brought forth in the class that really expanded the conversation, and they were just very deep, deep thoughts. Um, and so I've been looking forward to that, and I'm so happy that he took me up on the offer and, and provided that. Of course, as Dale mentioned this morning, each fifth Sunday, really any Sunday for that matter, if somebody has a lesson that they want to give, the pulpit is not just, it's not my pulpit. This is, this is Christ's pulpit. It is his word that's supposed to come from that um, and uh, if I'm doing my job as a minister, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that means sometimes giving up uh, the spotlight. It's not a spotlight, but a lot of some preachers see it as that way. Um, but giving up that time and that space for them to to bring that lesson. Um, but if you have something that you're thinking about, men, that you'd like to present as a lesson, start working on it now. Build a lesson out, prepare it, work on it. And as the opportunity arises in the future, uh, hopefully there will be men vying for it and we can hold jousting matches in the center aisle for who will, who will deliver it that Sunday. But uh, I look forward to hearing more lessons from, from the men here. Faithful men, of course, who have been entrusted with the great deposit of God's word, willing and able to teach others as well. That's what Paul says to Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 2, something that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. God is looking for faithful men and women who are ready and willing to serve Him. And as we discussed this morning in our class, Peter's mother-in-law had a bad fever. Uh, She was laid up in bed, and Jesus went in, rebuked the fever. The fever left her, and she immediately got up and began waiting on them, began serving them. Now, the application from that, as I mentioned this morning, is that we need to be ready, willing, and able, jumping at the opportunity to serve Him. And tonight, as we look at Paul's illustration in verses 3-4 through in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll see why our mindset needs to be this way. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, our service to Jesus Christ is compared to that of an athlete, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and again by Paul in this letter to Timothy later in chapter 4, something that we'll look at uh, later on in this study. Jesus painted the illustration of our service being likened to that of laborers in the harvest in Luke chapter 10. But in our text here tonight, Paul compares our service to Jesus Christ to that of a soldier. Now, I grew up as a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force for several years. I'm well accustomed to the military, and I am not an athlete by any stretch of the imagination, and not, nor have I ever labored in a harvest. So I find this illustration something that I can really work with uh, and build off of. And so tonight, let's look at this, uh, this illustration that Paul gives us. 
And uh, we'll work within the confines of that illustration that Paul chose. So to understand the service that Jesus desires of us, let us review the characteristics of a soldier who is enlisted in the army of Christ. Now the first thing we need to do is understand the nature of our enlistment. Okay, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter three, or chapter two, verses three through four. Uh, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So the first thing we need to do when we under trying to understand the nature of our enlistment. Enlistment, the the word enlistment, means the act of enrolling or being enrolled in the armed forces. So if we look at verse 4 here, note the specific language that Paul uses to explain how it is we're enrolled. He says, a soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And the King James Version expounds upon this a bit, and, and it reads that a soldier may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the enlisting is done by who? That's kind of the question here. Who does the enlisting? Is it something that we do, or is it something that somebody else does for us? Um, Now, the Scripture here says the one who enlists, or the one who chose. So Scripture tells us to do things to please God. He does not to please man, but to please God. And this is done so... The choosing uh, that we see here is done by Christ. The choosing portion of this is done by Christ. There's actually two layers to this enlistment, if you will. Now, the Greek word for choose or enlist that's used is uh, um, stratologeo. Means, it means to gather or to select as a warrior, as a fighter. That is, to enlist for the army or choose to be a soldier. This enlistment is not an involuntary draft, something that America saw last in the Vietnam War. This is not a draft, okay? We don't wake up one morning with an angel sitting at the end of our bed with a helmet and boots that says, up and Adam, you've been drafted into the Lord's army, let's go. That's not how it works. It's not involuntary. The enlistment is voluntary. We choose to join forces with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We obey His will, and we were chosen as we responded in faith to the call of the gospel. So how can we be chosen when we volunteered? That's where it gets confusing. And I I think I can best explain it this way. So we voluntarily obeyed the gospel. We chose to obey the gospel. We chose to confess our faith. We chose to repent, and we chose subsequently to unify ourselves to Christ in the waters of baptism. And in doing that, we are acknowledging Him before men. Right? So, who, so who, uh, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33. He also goes on to say, Any man who denies me before man, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Our obedience and, recog- and recognition as, uh, of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior allows Christ to choose His soldiers. Now, in terms of an earthly army, when someone signs up to join, when someone enlists into the military, they take an oath. They verbally acknowledge their dedication, their commitment to the service, to the United States of America, to the commander-in-chief, etc., etc., etc. But they take an oath. 
It's usually a very public oath. It's in a private ceremony, but their parents and whoever they want can be invited to it, etc. Um, now, after they enlist, the army or air force or whomever decides... Are you paying attention, Nick? Okay, good. Um, they then decide several things for that individual. They choose where they're going to train, what they're going to train in, where they'll fight, etc. But it all starts with the voluntary enlistment of the man. It all starts with the voluntary stepping up, taking of the oath, signing a piece of paper saying, this is what I'm going to do. I am devoting myself to this cause. And then the fight begins. So the Lord's army is all voluntary. We're not drafted against our will. And therefore, our attitude should reflect our willingness to do our part in service to Him. So knowing that, let us examine the nature of our service. Now, in the military today, there are two levels of service. There's active duty and there is reserve duty. When it comes to our service to the Lord, it is not reserve duty, where we serve only on limited occasions. And if we're called upon to go somewhere and and preach the word, that that's it. All right, two weeks, two weeks a year, or what is it? It's like one weekend a month, two, two weekends a year, something like that in the reserves. All right, that's not how it works in the Lord's Army. Some people treat their enlistment in the Lord's Army as Sundays and maybe a church camp week here or there, or maybe a mission trip here or there, and that's it. But that's not what our service to the Lord is supposed to be about. Um, when, we're, when we have that reserve duty mentality, uh, the potential for not taking our responsibility seriously can arise. And I think that's why, one of the many reasons, of course, why the Hebrew writer exhorts us not to neglect assembling together, as is the habit of some, but to stir one another up to love and good works. Our service to the Lord is an active service. Now, if you note at the beginning of verse 4 here, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, no, so, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. But the person reading this verse can get his tongue tangled around the words that are being said there. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Meaning that the type of service that he's referring to is akin to active duty military. Active duty military are not civilians. They're not treated as such. They have different laws that they abide by. There's the military code of conduct, right? Which, by the way, adultery is a punishable offense with jail time. I think that should be a regular law, but I don't write the laws. But they're not civilians, so they don't entangle themselves in those pursuits. And that's what Paul's alluding to. Now, as part of this active service, Paul details in verse 3 that a good soldier must be willing to endure hardships. And this is something that Dave touched on this morning in his sermon. But this active service to Christ takes priority. It should always take priority. It could impact the relationship that we have with our physical families, as Jesus described in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. And if you recall, Jesus himself showed us an example of this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. There he was teaching and and speaking in a house, and Mary, his mother, and his brothers were outside pressing to speak with Jesus. And a man told him they were out there. They said, hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers are out here. They want to talk to you. And then in verse 48, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
Then stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' service to his Father in heaven, to God, that came first. An active service to the Lord may impact our attitude toward our secular jobs as well. Something that I remind myself, or try to remind myself of daily as I toil away at my secular job, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, uh, 23 through 24. Even in our service to man, we are to perform that task as though we were doing it for the Lord. On top of that, when our focus is on serving the Lord, furthering His kingdom, being a good soldier of Christ, being a good person like Dave talked about this morning, uh, we can better understand the true purpose of our work in the world, secular work. Paul explains this to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 28. There he writes, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him, do, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, this is the key part, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He wasn't telling the thief to go work to make a living so he could support his family, etc. He was telling the thief to go labor and work so that he could provide for the needs of those who were in need. And additionally, in Acts chapter 18, Luke details Paul's profession or trade as a tent maker. Many of us know that Paul was a tent maker, working alongside Aquila and Priscilla. And in chapter 20 of Acts, uh, verses 34 through 35, Paul says this. He says, You yourselves know that these hands, speaking of his own hands, he said, These hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me, meaning that he worked to provide for their necessities as well as his own. And in verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul provided not just for himself, but for also, also for those who were with him. And in this example, he shows that our work is to strengthen the weak and serve one another in so doing. Now, as we do that, we continue with our active service to the Lord. And this mindset is important to ensure that we're not trying to serve both God and money. For as Jesus said, that's impossible. Man cannot serve both God and wealth, right? So all the soldiers in the army of Christ are on active duty. At least they should be. Though some may be on the front line in a mission field or preaching from a pulpit somewhere or teaching classes, etc., while others maybe supporting them from the base. Either way, we're all enlisted, and we should be serving the Lord in all that we do. So now that we understand the nature of our enlistment and our service, let us now consider the nature of our warfare. Who and why are we fighting? An important element that should always be considered in any kind of war, but of course, as we're looking at our service to the Lord, what are we talking about here? Let's start with the who or what is... Uh, what it is that we're fighting against. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the uh, the spiritual forces of evil, that's our main enemy. 
really the, the main em- enemy that causes a lot of the other things that we're going to look at too here in the nature of our warfare. Uh, but one of those things that is spurned on by these spiritual forces of evil are the sinful temptations and lusts that we encounter in this world. Peter urges his, his readers in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Definitely a formidable foe when we must bat, and it's one that we must battle daily to overcome. Lastly, something perhaps that you can study more upon this week in your personal devotional time is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. There Paul details the battle that is being fought around unrighteousness and, unga- and the ungodliness of man. Battles fought of those who do not recognize God and those who are given over to a debased mind that he uses, this is the phrase he uses there, uh, which leads to vile passions of the flesh. Some things that we just talked about, of course, too, in First Peter. So those are our enemies. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 10. Now, once you recognize and name your enemy, you must know what your objective is to address the enemy. Are you going to attack the enemy? Are you going to play defense? What's the game plan? What's the battle strategy? Our first objective, when it comes to the spiritual warfare that's going on, is to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. It's Galatians chapter 5. Our battle strategy against Arguments and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God is to take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. To fight the good fight for the faith, as he told Timothy just prior to this section in 2 Timothy that we're looking at tonight. But he said we must be ready and willing to stand strong and firm in our faith and support that fight, support our arguments, support what we're doing based in the Word of God and not the lofty opinions of man. And we do this so as to help those who have been ensnared by the devil to escape. That's what Paul details a little later uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Now, those are our objectives, right? Our objectives are to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to bring every thought into submission to Christ, and to help those ensnared of the devil to escape him. The enemy is mighty. The objective is noble. And we must be able to fight this fight as a good soldier of Christ with the proper weaponry. So we have why we're enlisted. We have how we serve. We've identified our enemies. We've identified how we're going to attack the enemies, how, what our game plan is. Now, what are we going to use to fight them? Now, our, our weapons are not carnal in nature because our battle, our warfare is not carnal in nature. It's spiritual. Now, if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, look at verses 3-4 through four there. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Because we're not fighting with carnal weaponry, such as sword, swords, spears. Yes, I just said swords. Swords, spears, guns, etc. That's not the weaponry that we're talking about here. 
And because we're not using that type of carnal weaponry, we should also not be using works of the flesh to power our fight. We should not be fueled by anger. We should not be fueled by wrath, by jealousy, etc. Instead, we should be armed with the spiritual weaponry, which is God's Word. That's the sword of the Spirit. A spiritual weapon by name and by nature. Our attitudes help us to better wield this sword. Look at verses 1-2 through here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Notice the adjectives that were used there. You've got... Meekness, gentleness, boldness, humble, confidence. These are all important characteristics to have if we're to overtake those who are caught in transgressions and avoid being defeated by the spiritual forces of evil themselves. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But... Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. The armor of God that is found in Ephesians chapter 6 provides everything we need to be a good soldier of Christ. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here's some familiar terms in there that he used in 2 Corinthians. He also used over in Ephesians chapter 6, boldness, gentleness. In the army of Christ, we seek to save ourselves as well as those with whom we may battle those who are in transgressions, those who are separated from God by their sin. But we are to do so in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, showing the love that was shown to us by our Lord and Savior. We fight the good fight using God's Word. And if you're here this evening and you haven't enlisted, in God's army that is, if you're still separated from God due to the sin in your life, then now is the perfect time that you can have your sins washed away by repenting of your sin and being buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. If we can assist you with that or with any other need that you have this evening, won't you come while we stand and sing?